Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. So Rena, what are we talking about this week? Today we have a very special guest, my friend Zena, who is here to talk to us about Bosnia and Herzegovina. July 11th was the anniversary of the Srebrenica massacre, which took place in the year 1995. We will go into that a little bit more later. But yes, welcome to Misinformed, Zina. Thank you for having me. Hello. Okay, so your family is from Bosnia, but where exactly is your family from? So my dad was from a city called Modrica. I mean, he still is. He's still there with us, luckily. And my mom is from a little town called Ilyash, which is close to Sarajevo. And I was born in Vienna after we fled from the war to Austria in 93. The next question was like, when did your family leave and why? But I guess you sort of answered that question. So you left in 1993? It was 92, actually. My mom was pregnant with my sister, my the second oldest sister, Erda. We fled to Macedonia to like some distant relatives and stayed there for, for the first six months, I think. And after that, uh, we made our way to Vienna. So it was my mom, my older sister, and my grandmother, actually. She left Bosnia with us because my mom couldn't be alone because she was pregnant with my middle sister. And my dad stayed in the town because both my parents were actually nurses. So my dad decided to stay in Bosnia to like help the wandered people. And when did your dad join you? After he decided to stay there, he actually got captured quite like recently. He was in a concentration camp for a while. To be honest, everything is a bit of a blur. My parents don't really like to speak about it. And with the years, I kind of like accepted it. So everything I know, I kind of like pick and choose together much of it. But basically the things I know is that he spent some time in a concentration camp and eventually a woman helped him <laughs> get in a car. Like in a trunk, she kind of brought him to Austria. Wow. And does your grandmother talk about it at all? My grandmother is not with us anymore, unfortunately. Of course, yeah. But she would mention it, of course, from time to time, because it was like, it was part of her life, I guess, and it disrupted her life. She lost a son in the war, so I think it had, of course, a big impact on her. So she would still talk a lot about it, yeah. Yeah, also more in like... um not such a like historical facts way, but more in like a emotional way, yeah. <laughs> of course. And how did your family get to Macedonia? Did they walk or? I think they took the first bus out of the town, and I think yeah, this bus went to Macedonia where we had this distant relatives. And actually, uh, I told you that my mom was pregnant with my sister, and uh, she was almost like about to pop, and my um told me when we lived with this family or when they lived with this family they also had like a little daughter and her name was Erda and my mom said if she's gonna survive this she's gonna name her daughter Erda as well so this is her name today and it's Mm -hmm. really beautiful it's a Macedonian name and means the world cute and your older sister does she I mean I guess she was quite young at that time but does she remember yeah she she was eight so I do think she actually remembers the most I just feel like my family, I'm, I, I even think maybe this is like part of Bosnian culture that people just don't like to talk about things that happened. They mm-hmm. just put it under the carpet. Mm-hmm. There is even a Bosnian term where we say that, like to put stuff under the carpet. What just is like, it? Uh, ispotepich. 
I think there are a lot of people who just do not know what happened in Bosnia. They know obviously there was a war in the 90s, but they're not sure how this happened and why this happened and what the context was where your parents had to leave their homes. Do you want to tell us about the context or the mm-hmm. history a little bit? As you might know, before that, it was like all part of Yugoslavia, which was ruled by the dictator Tito. He, for some reason, like people loved him. People still love him nowadays. Apparently, he was quite like a nice dictator, which is quite ironic. Basically, after he died, Yugoslavia kind of fell apart. And a lot of countries that were within Yugoslavia wanted to part and go their own way. So Bosnia wanted to do this, but Serbia didn't really want to do that because they were more powerful as Yugoslavia, you know. And I also do think it was war of religions because Yugoslavia does have like three cultures or like even more and religions. Like in Bosnia, the most part of people are Muslim and in Croatia they are Catholic and in Serbia they are Serbian Orthodox. They are free like religions to clash against each other. So I think it was like a cocktail of many things that like kind of exploded. The war lasted from 1992 to 1995. And I was looking at the way that Bosnia is set up and it's the country itself is super fascinating because you have Bosnia in the middle and then you have Herzegovina at the top and at the bottom. Just the way the country is carved up and like you have three people in charge and you have these like three ethnic groups within the country. You have the Bosniaks, you have the Serbs, you have the Croatians and they all have different religions and they're all just like clashing together and it just seems like a recipe Mm -hmm. for disaster but what's funny is something must have changed and you say like everyone loved tito and somehow he managed to keep everything Mm -hmm. together right yeah and do you think something changed in 1990 like obviously tito went but these people have all been living together for i mean how many years i don't know well i also don't know (laughs) (laughs) i guess for many years before that also because this is just the groups that make up this area i don't know like i also just know that before there was like a really peaceful coexisting and yeah people really enjoyed living in yugoslavia and tito kind of i mean i don't know i'm not an expert on tito but i guess he was having a good overview of everything and just like not letting anyone escalate and i think when he wasn't there anymore the nationalist part of yugoslavia escalated one day you're living your life, everything is normal, and then there's war. And I don't know if your family has talked about, like, how was life before? And then what were the events that happened that they decided, like, oh, now we have to leave? I think it was quite, like, drastic um, experience of my family. Like, I remember that my grandmother told me that they would literally call, like, the telephone in, in their homes and, like, warn them, like, you should leave in, like, two days, otherwise we'll come into the house and that's the serbian army yeah Hmm. wow so yeah exactly so that you just they just decided what to take and then yeah i don't think they took much Mm. they (laughs) i remember my older sister told me she had i don't know three dolls or something and she loved them to pieces and she really wanted to take them with her and she couldn't of course and my mom was like we'll come back so <laughs> she told me how she put them in the corner and told him, I will come back, I promise. <laughs> and did your family, after the war, did they go back? Yeah, my mom actually um, went there recently. She still has her grandmother there, uh, like my grandmother, her mother. 
So she visits her regularly and my dad doesn't go there anymore so much. He went with us as kids a couple of times during summer, like so we could see the grandparents and like have some kind of connection to the culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like he he has just too many traumas and like yeah. he can't just go back, I guess. I mean, I think that it's not a really well-known fact that they had concentration camps that they put the Bosnians in. So I was reading about it. They had the Omaska camp, which was set up for five months, which was the biggest one. And then they had a bunch of smaller ones, too. And it was a concentration camp. They're like, the usual shitty, terrible war things, torture, rape, beatings, like killings, like all these really horrible things. And it's just not mentioned or talked about, especially with like the recent war in Ukraine. There is this narrative of like, oh, this is the first war in Europe since like 1945. And you're just kind of like, um, no, not really, no. (laughs) I don't know. I guess you mentioned your dad. He never really talked about it, right? Because his trauma is... Yeah, again, uh, I just have like um, little pieces here and there that I kind of like glued together to like a little map. So it makes sense to me. I remember before I left to Berlin to live here, I had a really lovely evening with my dad. And we had some wine and just talked about life and... And the war was a topic somehow, or like maybe I tried to ask him something again about it. And he would always like shift uh, away from this topic and say, oh, let's talk about nicer things. We're alive, we're healthy, you know, like let's focus on the positive things. And then I, you know, resigned and said like, okay, I accept it, I respect it. I, I, I just like to know how many times like you still think about it. And he said every night before he goes to bed. So, yeah, it's, I don't think that you can forget something like that. I think it becomes part of you. Yeah. And you learn how to live with it. It's survival, right? And also not talking about it is also survival because you can only talk about it, like, maybe when you're ready or if you're ever ready or maybe you just don't want to. Is therapy a thing? I wish. I think I'm the first in the family that ever went to therapy. <laughs> I really feel like a generational breaker and it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a question about that because you didn't experience it firsthand. However, your entire family history is one of trauma in a way. Mm. And I think even if you didn't live it, you kind of inherit it. You... Oh, yeah. I really believe in generational trauma. And I I know I have it. It's hard not to. Like, even though you haven't experienced it yourself, you, you grew up in this environment that happened right after. So the environment was, like, shaky, scared, and unstable. And uh, it was just scary. Mm. So, yeah, definitely I believe in that. And I do think that also my sisters grew up with having that, even more so my like middle sister that uh, was in the stomach of my mom. So yeah, she she experienced it in a different way. Yeah, because she was in the womb. She would have. Your mother must have been so stressed and scared. Mm, exactly. And she, they they did studies. It yeah. shows like it, actually the cortisol and stuff. It's the hormones passed down to the baby, so it's a, it's a real thing. And when you go back to Bosnia today, <laughs> how do you experience the country? Actually, I brought my best friend uh, a couple of years ago with me for the first time. Mm-hmm. Teresa, you know her. <laughs> Shout out to you, babe. But yeah, this was such a like big move for me. I don't know. I never, ever brought anyone to Bosnia just because I feel like it's... I'm always very vulnerable when I go myself. I, I just see a life that I could have lived, but never have. I don't know. I'm always very melancholic when I'm there. 
like bittersweet uh, sensations. I don't know how to explain them. I like sometimes wonder how I would be today if I stayed there. I would probably be someone completely else. Like I wouldn't be the same person like I am today. Mm. It's a trippy, <laughs> it's a trippy like uh, thought to realize that you could have been someone completely different. In terms of like identity, do mm. you think of yourself as Bosnian? Do you feel Austrian? Do you feel neither of those things? Do you feel all of those things? Mm-hmm. Like I imagine identity must be such a complicated question for you. Oh my god, it's so complicated. That's why I moved to Berlin because everyone that struggles with identity moves here. No, I'm joking. Uh, it's not real. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I really think it's what makes this city so special that everyone that doesn't find home elsewhere, like moves to Berlin, mm-hmm. finds it somehow here. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely struggled with identity even more when I was younger. I even changed my name in school so people would pronounce it correctly. Mm-hmm. I called myself Sina, which is like a very German-Austrian name. <laughs> And I thought it's quite close to Zena, you know. So I always wrote my name like with an S instead of an Z. Yeah, so people could pronounce it correctly. Uh, so yeah, it definitely like started there. And also, yeah, even when we went to Bosnia to like visit my grandparents, we would be like the rich kids from Austria. <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, we are so far from rich, but okay. <laughs> so you like always had the feeling you don't really belong there, but also not here. You never knew where to belong, actually. So, like, I created my own space Aww. within myself. You know, something cheesy. <laughs> no, I don't think it's cheesy at all. <laughs> we, uh, just on a side note, we talked to Sunmi about she was adopted from Korea when she was three by a German family in Bavaria, but she's Korean. And then she was thinking about, like, what's my fucking identity, right? Because, you know, you're, you're cut off from your country in such a big way, plus you're raised by people who are not Korean and all this kind of stuff. And her conclusion was, like, her identity is kind of like her values, what she yeah likes and stuff. And then she attracts people with similar values and things like that. And that's, mm, like, how she's yeah. decided to think about it because it's such a mindfuck otherwise, right? Exactly. Mm. I actually, um, I had a moment uh, once in Berlin where I, like, really struggled with where I belong. Like, I added, like, Berlin on the on the list, you know. I was like, do I belong here? I don't know. The city makes it really hard. I can't find an apartment. Unmeldung, German bureaucracy. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, maybe it's better I don't belong here. Anyway, I had this moment, and I talked to a good friend of mine. She's also from Bosnia. And she kind of, like, suggested I should, like, sit down on the floor and just repeat my name a couple of times in a row. So I sat down, I was like, Zaina, 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 and I uh, did this for a while. And uh, she asked me after that what I felt, and it was so strange. I really got a warm feeling inside of my belly. And, oh my god, it sounds so cheesy, but like I really felt like home for the first time. Mm. So if you ever feel lonely, just sit with yourself, repeat your name until it doesn't make sense, and uh, you'll get a warm feeling inside your belly. <laughs> All <laughs> That's right. a good tip. <laughs> now you know what I'm going to be doing tonight. <laughs> So you grew up in Austria, and how was that? Like, how did the Austrians see Bosnians? Was there anything like this? Mm. I think in the 90s they accepted a lot of, I don't know how to say it in English, Gastarbeiter. Guest workers. Guest workers, exactly. So I think they welcomed everyone quite nicely. Luckily for my parents, especially in the field of, like I said, they were both nurses, so they, they both like did a German course, and my mom started working in a home for like old people. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, it's quite funny. My mom has like a really strong Austrian accent. It's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> Because she learned German through them, old people. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like my parents are very grateful how they got accepted by Austria. Mm. But I also think through this gratefulness, they kind of like don't see everything that also went wrong. And that's like a was a very selective process and like still is nowadays and that how they treat refugees. Yeah, it's just quite selective, which yeah. it shouldn't be. And I still think Austria has a lot of problems, but I think we need another episode <laughs> for that. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think your parents would ever go back to Bosnia permanently? Well, my mom is tapping to work this September. I'm really excited for her. She's been working her whole life. I honestly know her more as a nurse than a mom. She always used to work so much to be able to provide for us. But yeah, so I think she's gonna definitely spend some more time in Bosnia also with her mother. I don't think they'll ever go back for good. Mm. At least not my dad. And so, so this massacre that took place on the 11th of July 1995 was a very targeted act of genocide against Bosniak Muslim men and boys, where they killed... 8,000 people in a day. Mm -hmm. And the Serbian president in 2013 apologized for it as a crime, but he still refuses to refer to it as a genocide. And like, how do you feel about this? Oh my God, it makes me so mad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I just feel like genocide denied is genocide continued. Like they deny people's reality, people's past. It's just like a different kind of torture. It's like, it makes you feel crazy and like that this never ever happened and yeah makes me mad. Rina and I watched this fascinating documentary in Deutsche Welle about well it was a couple of years old but it was about Bosnia sort of now. I should say Bosnia Herzegovina. I feel like nobody ever says Bosnia and Herzegovina. Everyone just says Bosnia apart from when you're watching Eurovision Song Contest. And then they say Bosnia Herzegovina, right? But yeah, it was really interesting because, like you said, there was this feeling that we got from watching it that the past hadn't really been dealt with or talked about, and everyone sort of reached this truce. And then divisions still exist, actually stronger than during Tito. It's not like it's gone back to Tito era. It's just like they've got a truce, but now they're sort of divided. And then they were showing also, like in schools, in different schools, the Catholic school or the Muslim school or whatever, or from different groups, they're teaching different versions of history, which seems very dangerous. Yeah, and then they had like this wall between the schools, like a fence. This woman, she was so annoying because she was like, this fence here, this is really stupid that this fence is here. That's not the part I'm annoyed about. She was correct. The fence is annoying. But then they asked her, I was like, would you be okay if your child married someone, you know, from a different religion? She was like, no. You're like, well, then you've got a fence in your oh, mind, wow. lady. Like, mm. But yeah, it was really shocking, actually, because the war is over. And I think we were watching this. And the thought that we had was like, is there going to be another war? Yeah, I think actually that since recently, like the situations, it tends to like escalate again. So I don't know. I, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that's a really nice thing about trying to talk about it and process it, which is what you're doing, which is really great. And also, like, it's really nice that, like, everyone acknowledges everything that happened in a way, because it's really dangerous if not. Yeah, for sure. It just, like, keeps repeating itself. It felt like just one thing needs to go wrong and go again. 
I mean, the things we were watching on this documentary, <laughs> this guy was saying that he had friends who were, I don't know, Serbian or Croatian, like, or Bosnian, but like different groups from their village or their town, they would have a coffee or whatever, and then they would all go off to war and just shoot the other people, and they compartmentalized it, I guess, into different groups or different things, like, and they were just able to do that, or they had to do that, I don't know, but people are living together, but they still see their divisions, and it feels like, oh, they could also just take up arms, and Mm -hmm. I don't know, it was a very strange documentary. (laughs) What is it called? It was from Deutsche Welle. I can send it to you. It's a few years old. Yeah, please. I actually watched such a good movie that came out uh, quite recently, I think 2020. And it's about the genocide in uh, Srebrenica. Mm-hmm. And I can really recommend it. It's called Kvo Vadis Aida. It's about a translator that is translating between those different groups, between the Dutch and uh, the Blue Helmets and uh, Serbian soldiers, Bosnian civilists. And yeah, it's super, super well done. An amazing movie. I saw that Netherlands this year apologized for the massacre. Did you read that? Yeah, well, I feel like it was about time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's so long overdue that I'm a bit indifferent, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, well, what now? <laughs> like 30 years later, and you're apologizing now, so... And should something happen to those soldiers? Do they supposed to be peacekeeping? I mean, I think the like, soldiers were like kids themselves. They were like 17, 18, I don't know. So I don't think it should be down to them. I think it should yeah, it should be down to the leaders that uh, created this mess. If there is one thing you wish people knew about Bosnia, any like misconceptions or mistakes or stereotypes you're just so tired of hearing. <laughs> Ironically, I think that there are none. And this is what annoys me, because I think, like, Bosnia and Herzegovina is just, like, so far from people's mind. They also always refer to it either as still Yugoslavia, you know, and see it all still all as one. There is no differentiation. Or they don't even know that it's next to Croatia, where most people go for summer holidays, you know. (laughs) So I think this is the misconception that annoys me the most that it's just not on people's radar and when they refer to it it's just like this place far out of Europe where you go when you have nowhere else to go I guess even when I see it in movies like Yugoslavia or like Bosnia is always referred to like we are not in Bosnia to like refer to something uh, chaotic war-torn I think there is even like a term in English which shocked me but I think it's It's kind of called balkanizing. I heard about it like quite recently and I think it's even like a dictionary and it means to dissect things in like really small pieces, to balkanize something. Harsh, hey? Mm. Also, I feel like the EU, like you said, like kind of forgot about Bosnia, right? I mean, Do you think it should be part of the EU? I mean, Croatia is, no? Mm. And I feel like when Croatia entered the EU, Bosnia was maybe like also anticipating it and like kind of maybe like looking forward to it just hoping for like something to change but yeah i think it quite quickly became clear that we are not part of this little clique to be honest yeah i don't know the like politics behind that i was also just wondering like i have no idea why but i was like oh it's interesting because it's just there like strange hey yeah it kind of makes sense that it would be but there's not really a discussion that it is so i was just wondering about that's a good point yeah So to wrap up our episode, we always recommend three things to our listeners that they can do this week to be a better person. And we would love it if you did the recommendations this week. 
Okay, so thing one I would recommend is to go to the Sarajevo Film Festival. That is every year in August and it has a great selection of films. Yeah, it even started during the war to kind of like bring people back together and the city was literally on fire and bombs were like hitting it and a group of like artists created this like film festival in like a little cellar. And I think this year is the 27th anniversary, or maybe 28th, but like it exists for quite a while, which is amazing. And I went there a couple of years ago for the first time. And last year there was also Benicio del Toro there, and I love him. The festival also like gives people the heart of Sarajevo or something, actors they like, or to special people. I know that Angelina Jolie also got one because she is quite vocal about uh, what's happening in Bosnia. And like she also supported like a lot of refugees. Think two is to drink a Bosnian coffee for at least three hours. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be three hours, but drink the coffee very slowly. And you typically drink it with like a sugar cube and you put it in your mouth and then you sip like a little like a little coffee, just like very slowly. It's very hot, black. And then you let the like sugar cube slowly melt in your mouth. Thing three is I would recommend people to pronounce names right. Always make the effort to ask people their name. If you don't get it for the first time, ask, I don't know, how many times you need to ask, but make sure to pronounce people's name right. Thank you so much. Yes, thank and you, guys. Uh, thank you so yeah. much. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm a fond listener. Nice. Until next week. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore mis underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.